You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. My name is Zach. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here. And it's a joy to welcome you on this Easter if you're new here today. Um, Also, if you are new, uh, we have uh, some mugs in the back that we would love to give to you as a gift. So if you're new, uh, grab one of those. And if you're not new and you're sitting by someone who's new, take them back there, show them, and say, yeah, it's okay. Grab one of these mugs. They're for you. And there's information about our church there. So today, as we do every week, we're going to just walk through the scriptures. And it's going to be really simple today. Um, we're going to simply walk through the Easter account that we, found in, that we find in Luke chapter 24. So if you have a Bible, um, open it up to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there's some of the back tables back here, and you can have that if you don't have one. If not, it should be on the screen for us. So we're just going to walk through this this morning. And if, and if you're new to Christianity, what we're going to see today is basically just Christianity 101. Like, what's the basis in general for why we believe that Christianity is true? Why we would gather every seven days in a place like this, in Madison, and in Montana, and in Madagascar, all throughout the, the world? It's, it's what we're going to see this morning. And if this isn't new for you this morning, and this is maybe the the thousandth time that you've heard this, it's not just an issue of, do I know it up here? Have I heard it before? But the question for us is, as human beings, always is, do I know it in here? Has it impacted my life? Am I living out its implications? And that's more of an issue of being reminded and allowing your hearts to be awakened to the truth of it. So if, you're, if, you're, if this isn't new for you this morning, I want to challenge you this morning, as we read, to let this account land on you afresh today and remind you of why you're a Christian and to live in light of those implications. So, Good Friday, we had an amazing Good Friday service. Uh, Madison Multiply is our church planting network. Three churches came together, as we do sometimes, and we celebrate. Um, And Good Friday, we had a Madison Multiply service. It was packed in here, and it was a a somber remembrance. That's what Good Friday is, is supposed to be. But Easter is different. Easter is a celebration. Easter is a celebration, It's not time for somber reflection. It's time for celebration. So let me ask you, as we read this this morning, ask yourself right now, what can I celebrate? There's there's different aspects of the resurrection account that are going to connect with your life, I would imagine. And even ask God right now to open your eyes and your heart to be willing to be affected, to, to, to celebrate what we find here today. 
Where does this story connect to your hope? Where does this story connect with your joy? Where does this story connect with peace? Where does this historical account connect with your life account? So if you have a Bible, let's, let's look here at the resurrection account in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. So this is women here who... Um, Oftentimes, in, in ancient times, they would take, uh, like we might use formaldehyde uh, with, a, with, a, with the corpse, um, they used different spices, it was, it was their tradition, and that's what this is talking about. Verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Verse 5. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, this is a great question, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. So this is the first time the celebration of Christianity being as true as true can be is announced. And this, take note here, this is a claim about an event of history. It's very, very important that we see this this morning and understand this this morning. Christianity stands or falls based on the veracity, the truth of a historical event. So was George Washington the first president of the United States, yes or no? Yes, that's right. Thank you. It was intended to be rhetorical, but I appreciate it. It's the same thing here. Did Jesus rise from the dead or not? And right here we see that for the first time, the angels ask a great question. It's a great question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? So, Christianity stands or falls right here. Either it happened or it didn't. Right? Sometimes when we think about religion in general, we want to ask questions that are pragmatic in nature. And what that means is, the question is, does it work? Does it work? And that is an important question, maybe down the road. But the primary question where Christianity stands or falls is not does it work, but did it happen? 
did it happen? And that has, because if it did happen, as we're going to see this morning, that has huge implications for our life. So much so that I tattooed these implications on my body uh, many years ago. A lot of you guys have seen this, but I have written on my very body in ink that doesn't go away. His resurrection is his enthronement. So if the resurrection is true, and it is, that has implications. If the, his, if the history is true, and it is, that has implications. Like this is one of the best summaries, I think, of the Christian worldview. That's why I wanted to remind myself of it every day, like when I'm showering and reading my arm or whatever, right? When I'm playing the piano and I see my arm down there, oh yeah, that's why I'm a Christian. His resurrection is his enthronement. That means Jesus is king. He rules and reigns. Like we just sang, he will reign forever. Let your glory fill the earth. So if the history is true, and it is, that has implications. One implication, the kingship of Jesus. And we're gonna walk through more implications as we go this morning. Let's keep reading. Verse five, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And then they say this, I love it. He calls them to remember. What are they supposed to remember? Remember how he told you. Remember? He predicted it. Remember how he told you, verse six, while he was still in Galilee during his ministry, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. The, the angel says, remember, Jesus told you this, right? Jesus predicted it. Now, if somebody predicts that they're going to die and rise again, and they actually do, that's staggering. That's staggering. And that's what the angel wants to remind them then and us today of what happened. He said, he, he's, he's living, he's not dead. Why do you look, the, why do you look for the, the, the living among the dead? Why do you look for a dead body in a tomb? Well, it makes sense, right? But not in Jesus' case. And remember, Remember what he told you. Remember his words. Keep reading. And then it says, that's what, the, that's what they needed, just a reminder. And then they did remember. Look at verse eight. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. So it's so simple, you miss it, but there's so much there that we need to be reminded of today. We're, uh, a historical event of this magnitude cannot be squashed. You can't keep quiet about it. You can't shut up about it. How could they not go and tell, right? 
See, another implication of Easter is telling. Speaking about an event of history. Like, a lot of people are cool with Jesus' teaching, and, and it sounds good. Like, I can kind of wrap my head around, turn the other cheek, and how, like, the revenge impulse might not be a blessing in the world today. A lot of people can understand that. A lot of people really love how Jesus talked about and identified with the poor and the marginalized, right? The things that he taught about that. But if he taught that he was going to rise and he didn't, like it was a lie or he was just crazy, then should we really believe his teaching? So it's, it, Christianity, again, to this theme of being a historical event, first and foremost, if it's true, and it is, it has to be told. We start not with the things that Jesus said. We start with what happened. What happened? What happened validates what he said, and not the other way around. Because if it didn't happen, then, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, we're to be pitied among all people, and y'all have much better things to do on a Sunday morning than get up and come here. But the history happened. We have to talk about it. We call people to, to think about it, to consider it, just like we see here. That's the, that's the first, the very first response to the resurrection was what? Was telling. You see that? The very first response to the resurrection was speaking about a historical event. They had to go and tell. Like, guys, this is what just happened. You're not going to believe it. Let's keep reading. So verse 9, and returning from the tomb, they told. How could they not? All these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now here's just a little data that we're going to see that, that speaks to the veracity of, the, like, of, this, of this history that we read here in Luke. That, it's, that, it, that it makes sense that he's not making this up. Check this out. Verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. Now, why is that a big deal? Why does Luke need to report that these women were the one who told them? Well, if Luke was making all of this up, he would not have women being the first people to testify to the truth of this claim. Because at this point in the history, and as backwards as we think it is, and it, and it is, like a woman was not allowed to testify in court. She was not trusted in the same way as a man would when it comes to testimony. So it does, Luke has no um, advantage by putting women at the scene unless it's true. It doesn't make any sense for him to, if, if I'm writing an account and I know it's not true and I'm just making stuff up, oh, I know what I'll do. At this time in history, in light of how women are viewed, I'm going to put women as the first, the first people that, that testify to this. But he does. But he does. It's a great piece of evidence for the, for the truthfulness of what we read here. 
He, he gained no advantage by reporting on this in this way unless it was true. Verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. That's a very understandable response, right? We see it every day in our world today. But what do they do? They're thinking, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Great question. It's a very logical question. Question for them then and for us is, are you willing to check it out? Are you willing to consider the evidence? Are you willing to listen to the claims of those that testify to its truth and see for yourself? And that's exactly what happens Look at verse 12. Sounds kind of crazy, verse 11, verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So what do we see here? Peter was willing to go look for the evidence. And it says here that he finds that evidence satisfying. Look at the end there. He went home marveling at what had happened. Now, how do we think of this today? Like some of you today here might not be Christians. And you might be thinking, well, there's a lot of difference between what Peter got to do and what I'm able to do. I can't go and see an empty tomb. From an intellectual perspective, there's a lot you can do. And I'll, let me just speak to like the, the academic intellectual at this point. There's many, many books written about why it's very reasonable to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now that, you, you can intellectually believe that and still not become a Christian because being a Christian is more than just what you think. It connects with what you want. And those sometimes are very different, right? But if you're willing to look at the evidence, I'll just give you one recommendation. There's a book that's been around a long time. It's a classic. The evidence hasn't changed much. Um, but if you want to read and really have your heart kind of satisfied, and even if you're a believer here and you want to be even more encouraged that you being a Christian and that Jesus rose from the dead is actually something that's really credible, um, there's a book called Reasonable Faith by a famous apologist or someone who defends the Christian faith named William Lane Craig. And he just lays out the five main reasons why it's reasonable to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Or if you don't want to read it, don't want to buy a book, you can just go online Type into YouTube, William Lane Craig, uh, evidence for the resurrection. And there's really some things that you have to come to terms with if you're willing to consider it. Just like Peter did here. He's like, I hear this news, I'm not sure, I'm going to go check it out. And we can do the same thing today in different ways. 
there is really, really good evidence to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, I would say it takes more faith to believe that he didn't in light of the evidence than he did. But again, that connects to not just our intellect. It connects not just to the facts that we believe, but what do we want? What do we believe that we need? But I want to highlight one other thing from verse 12. It says here, but Peter rose and ran. He rose and he ran. This news demanded a response. And notice that the, the, spot, the response was not apathy. Right? It moved his physical body. Like that seems really wise to me. Like Christianity makes a lot of claims about a lot of things that if true, have a lot of implications for our lives. There's a lot at stake for not getting this right. And Peter knew that. Like if this is true, this is a really, really, really big deal. So he's not going to stay apathetic. He's going to go check it out. He ran. And, and I, always, I always say this to people that, and I say this to you if you're an unbeliever here this morning. Um, at least consider the evidence. At least understand what you're rejecting. Like, at least be willing to give it a look. A really good, honest look. Like apathy, in light of what's at stake here, eternity hangs in the balance. Christianity says like a right standing with the God of the universe hangs in the balance. Your eternal joy hangs in the balance. So that should require a response that's beyond apathy and looks more like Peter here in verse 12. I, I got to check it out. I got to. I got to see for myself. And I love it where it says he marvelled at this. Like he didn't yawn. He wasn't just like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." Um, back to the fishing boats. It changed his life. It changed his life. Let's see what happens next. So we're going to skip over a really, really cool account, uh, 13 through 34, 35. I encourage you to read that when you get home or tonight. Let's jump to verse 36, and this is kind of the continuation after they take a little a scene from uh, on the side. So verse 36 says this. As they were talking about these things, well, what's the things? Well, you can imagine the resurrection and the reports of the women, and what Peter saw. So there's disciples gathered together is kind of the background here. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Peace to you. 
I, I think it's interesting that that's the first thing that Jesus says. Peace to you. Now, maybe that was just a historical, customary greeting, like we say, hey, how's it going? And it could be that. This could be conjecture on my part. But I'm willing to believe that it was much more loaded than just a customary cultural greeting. I would imagine that, that Jesus meant that statement to his, his first disciples more than ever. Like, here I am, and there's peace that I'm giving to you. There's peace that you can receive. There's peace that you can have. I mean, think about what these guys had been through. Place yourself in their shoes. If you know anything about the gospel accounts, and how they walked with him, and they saw the things that he did, and they saw and they heard the things that he taught. And then he's crucified, and, it's, and he's dead. And they think this whole thing is just over. You can see how that would cause some turmoil in your spirit, right? Like the opposite of peace, right? And he shows up and says, Peace to you. Peace to you. Like resurrection connects to peace. Seeing and knowing and believing the resurrection connects to peace. Like it's going to be okay. Jesus is risen from the dead. It changes everything. You can calm down. Right? Their lives were chaos at times. Our lives are chaos at times. I just think of the headlines every day that we read right now of the brutality of war in Ukraine. And the secular worldview would say the strong eat the weak. The only reason why we're here is because of natural selection, right? Evolutionary, natural selection. The strong eat the weak. Some people happen to be strong. Some people happen to be weak. Some people get eaten. Some people do the eating. We're just complex animals, kind of just a cosmic accident. What's the big deal? We're all going to die anyway, This is just kind of what happens. Wars happen. Strong governments eat weak governments. It's just natural selection. It's not very satisfying, is it? That doesn't garner peace in my heart because justice cries out for, for Putin to be held to account. And there's a long list of folks that have come before him and will come after him. Resurrection says, hey, there, there's a true king. He's enthroned. He will bring all things to account because of, because of the, the facts of history. We can have peace in the midst of the chaos because of the resurrection. We got pandemics that make us feel like our lives are out of control. Well, they might be if there's no resurrection. 
you might just be at the mercy of time and chance and some people get sick and die and some people live to their 102. That can make you feel nervous. That can make you feel out of control. Resurrection says death is not the final answer. Death has been defeated so you can have peace. You'll live forever. Eternal joy if you know King Jesus and his enthronement. You can have peace. So he shows up, the first thing he says is peace to you. Jesus has it. He can give it. He's in control. It's gonna be okay. It's just a matter of time. Now, isn't that what we all want, ultimately? And resurrection brings it. Look at what else happens here. Verse 37. But they were startled and frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. Is this a collective hallucination? Does that happen? And he said to them, great question. I love the questions that are asked in the Bible. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? He says, guys, this is not a collective hallucination. See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see. He invites them to touch his physical body. Don't miss that. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. So, I mean, emotionally, this must have just been like so chaotic. It's like they're, they're freaked out, but they're joyful and they're marveling. It's like, see the emotions here? They still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. He said to them, it's interesting, have you anything to eat? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Why did, why did Luke include that? Because Christianity has always been and always will be a message of the goodness of God's creation, right? Our bodies, our physical bodies, are really, really good. And when this life as you know it under, uh, uh, is over and you enter the next life, you don't just fly away in some like ethereal, translucent angel playing a harp on a cloud kind of medieval artwork silliness. You're going to have an actual body. Because God, from beginning, created your body and said it was good. And so Jesus is the first down payment, the first indication of that. Now, Jesus' body is different. He just shows up among them, and there's other accounts of this. So we don't, there's a mystery here we don't totally understand. The Bible doesn't explain. It just asserts. So our physical bodies will be very, very similar, but very different. 
But I bring all this up just to show you that like the normal functioning of eating requires a physical body. And Jesus, in his resurrected state, has a physical body, and you will too. Because God loves what he has created. And he's remaking it. Right? The one day the aches and pains that you experience, if you're in Christ, will be gone forever. Let's keep reading. This is where it gets even better. Then he said to them, these are my words. So he's like, check out my body. I'm a real, I'm a real physical body. It's not a ghost. But remember my words too. Like, do you have ears to hear? These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything, so he's just calling to remember, remember, remember. Christianity is, is not just intellect, do I know the facts, but can I remember them and have them Im- impact my life? Remember, these are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you. And here it is, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, so that's just shorthand for the Old Testament, saying everything that was written about me in the Bible that they had at, at this time, the Old Testament, Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So the Old Testament is true, he's saying. You can trust it. What it promised about me had to be fulfilled, and it has. So trust the scriptures. Don't neglect the scriptures, he's saying. It's, it's all right there, right? God revealed that it would happen, and it has. Trust the revelation. Like, God always keeps his promises. That's one of the best things that you can remember and preach to yourself as a Christian, and, and Easter is number one reminder of that. God always keeps his promises, That's what Jesus reminds them of here. He promised it. And look, he's kept his promise. He's true to his word. He's going to stand by his word. What's the content of this? So good. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, verse 46, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. That the Christ should suffer. What was Jesus' suffering all about? What was the point of that? There's a lot we could say here. But the essence of the Christian message is this, that there's a God. We are not it. There's a God that's distinct from creation, that is not creation. And there's a creator and there's creation. He's created us and he said that we're really, really good as created by him. But we decided to reject God and his word and not have ears to hear and say we want to be gods of ourselves. We want 
We want to do our own thing. The Bible says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. There is justice that God requires. There's perfection that God requires. He doesn't grade on a curve. And all of us have fallen short of that. And if everybody's honest in this room, we all get that. If there was a video camera on every single aspect of my life that you could watch, I wouldn't be excited about that. Like it would testify that I have fallen short of the glory of God, and so have you. But God in his love did not want to leave us there. He did not want us to stand condemned for all eternity. So he sent his son, second person of the Trinity, God himself, God the Son, to be our substitute, to bear the, the, the penalty that our sin righteously deserves so that we didn't have to. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So there's a God, and, and we're sinners, but God provides the substitute. God's love poured out at the cross where he bore the wrath that our sin really deserves. So when you see the cross, you can see our sin is a big deal. It it deserves wrath. And the wrath of God, he took on himself. He poured out on himself. God, the second person, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity That's the essence of the, what we call gospel, gospel, the good news. But here's the thing. None of that is good news unless resurrection. None of that is good news without resurrection, without the rest of the verse. And that's what Jesus shows them here, right? Thus it is written that Christ should suffer, die for our sins, suffer horribly, and on the third day rise from the dead. So that resurrection should tell you something, right? You can believe that whole thing that I just said about God, sin, and substitute because the resurrection. The resurrection proves it all true, right? And so what's the response to that? Well, here it is. The Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. So what's the response to that news, Jesus? And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So what's the response to that message? It's repentance. It's repentance. It's turning away from my sin and turning towards Jesus. Repentance literally means in the Greek, changing your mind. I'm changing my mind about this sin over here I used to think it was awesome. I don't think it's awesome anymore. I think Jesus is better, and I trust him. Turn from sin, turn towards Jesus in trust and treasure. That's what repentance means. I love this quote that I read this week from a pastor. The fundamental story of the world is not the story of good guys and bad guys, or of oppressors and the oppressed, 
but of sinners and a savior. The fundamental story of the world is not the story of good guys and bad guys or of oppressors and the oppressed, but of sinners and a savior. So in light of that being true, and it is, that's why repentance is such a big deal and necessary. But here's the great thing. When there is repentance... A, coming to, a turning from sin, turning towards Jesus in faith and trust and treasuring him, what happens? Forgiveness for the f- repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See it there, verse 47? And that that, you can be forgiven. You can be right with the holy God. All of that problem of sin, that condemnation that you feel, can just be washed away and you can know for a fact that you are a new creation in light of what Jesus did now and in the future. And this message that I'm saying right now, look at what it says, should be proclaimed in Jesus' name. So it's not any other, there's no other name. It's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's not secular humanism. This message in the name of Jesus should do what? Go global to all Nations, not just a few nations, not just the United States, not just Africa, not just Australia. No, to the whole world. Starting right here, he says. He says, you're witnesses of these things, and I'm sending upon you the promise, my Father. Look at verse 49. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. He's saying, this is the last thing, when you become a Christian, you receive what's called the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead now lives in us who believe, have turned from sin, turned toward Jesus, and is going to give life to us now and forever. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It means you have a new direction. It means you have a new heart. You get a heart transplant, right? Where the things that used to be, man, I love this sin, your taste buds change. And your desire turns towards Jesus. And there's gonna be power now for people to be able to see and trust and believe in ways that they didn't before. And God is going to be released upon the world in ways through the local church and through his people that gather filled with the Spirit to bring this, to, to see what he just said, to all nations happen. So if, if you're a Christian here today, are you willing to believe this, not just intellectually, but in your heart? Look at the emotions of the text, marveling, believing, joy, sharing, telling. Like, some of you need to preach that to yourself right now. Yeah, Jesus is risen from the dead. I can have peace. Jesus is risen from the dead. I can tell my neighbor about this. Jesus is risen from the dead, so I don't have to fear. Jesus is risen from the dead. I can celebrate today. And some of you might need to believe this for the very first time. If, if not right now, are you willing to maybe just explore it? And look into it. We'd encourage you in that direction. Christianity 
It's right here. It's all right here. Explore and see the facts. Marvel. Believe. Listen to Jesus. Receive the peace that passes all understanding. Trust, treasure him. Follow him because he's worthy and he loves you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the news of this historical account and what it represents for us. Lord, we thank you that we can live in light of its implications today. Lord, I pray that you would awaken eyes to see and ears to hear in whatever way is necessary right now in this moment. In Jesus' name.